when I started out in ministry, we would have breakdowns in our technology too. The pencil lead would break. <laughs> and you just had to stop and recover from all that. But uh, yeah, if you have uh, uh, the scriptures with you, either in book form or a electronic device, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, talking about technology, I remember the first time people started using their phone for their Bible. I was leading a Bible study, and there were people there, and it, and, and it wasn't... They were young people in their 50s, okay? <laughs> I just want to say that. They were very young people in their 50s, and they had their phone, and I'm, I'm leading this Bible study, and they're going like this. And I knew for a fact they were playing solitaire. I mean, there's... And I, I accused them of that. <laughs> they said, oh, no, it's our phone. And, and I, got to, I got to thinking about that. Does it count that you carried your Bible to church if all you have is a phone? Now, don't, you, phone's great. I have a Bible app on my phone, a Bible app on the computer. The, the amazing thing now is you can bring it up in multi-languages. I, love, I bring up the Greek and look at the Greek and solve some some issues when you're looking at, at, at a scripture. So it's absolutely fantastic to have all this thing, but does it count? Did you really bring your Bible to church? Because it's actually in the cloud. <laughs> Am I right? It's actually in the cloud. And all you've got in front of you is just a few verses, maybe a chapter before and after in case you scroll real fast. Uh, but even at that, if you go too fast, it'll, it'll lock up while it downloads again. So um, th- there's something to be said, isn't there, for the old... Um, the book? None of you will get this illusion, but I will, and it'll make me happy when I go home this afternoon. I'm not a Captain Fitzroy, but the book, folks, the book, this is what it's, this is our our anchor. This is uh, what enables us to come to Christ. You can become a Christian without knowing the Bible, without reading the Bible. You can become a Christian, but when you become a Christian, you cannot... You cannot come to Christ apart from the truth that is in the Bible. Does that make sense? You don't have to know there's something called John 3.16, but it's in the Bible that you learn that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's the truth that we embrace. So these scriptures, it's how we come to Christ. It's it's how we continue in Christ. When God saves us, unlike most of us, you know, we have the opinion, God saves us, and now I just sort of launch out on my own, and it's nice to have this, this insurance policy in my pocket, uh, pocket and all that kind of thing. But in point of fact, when we become children of God, we, are, we, we launch out into life, but we don't launch out alone. The Holy Spirit is within us, and the Holy Spirit uses the words of Scripture to enable us to continue in Christ and to grow in Christ. The the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and and a lot of times we can be confused by that because we can't tell the difference. Is the Holy Spirit really speaking to us, or or was it, you know, Korean food yesterday? You know, it's it's hard to know when it's just a matter of feelings and emotions, but when you have the the Word of God, when you have it written down. See, God's not going to contradict himself. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to do anything contrary to the Word of God, contrary to the Bible. So the Bible is how we continue in the faith. It's it's how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And it's how we contend for the faith. It's how we um, advocate the truth of Christianity. It's how we tell the world what we believe and demonstrate to the world that what we believe is, in fact, true. Um, If they want to reject it, that's their problem. But we do it on the basis of the Word of God. And so 
uh, the Bible is at the very heart, the very center of our, of our conversion, of our continuance, of our contention for the faith. The Bible is what brings us and keeps us in Christ. So um, the book, folks, the book. And this morning we come then uh, to that part of the gospel armor that is the word of God, or the word, it, it actually says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And uh, you'll be happy to know that if on your Bible app you pull up the original Koine Greek on that, there's, there's a lot of ways to read that because there's a relative pronoun in there that's the wrong. Uh, anyway, but uh, I've lost you right there, haven't I? But, but, you know, there's a lot of ways of reading that. Um, but, but essentially read it like this. This is the sword that the Spirit gives. The Spirit is what defines the sword. The Spirit is what gives the sword. The Spirit is the origin of the sword. This is the sword of the Spirit. And if you want to know how that works out in just plain, simple, pointed, focus it down, it's the Word of God. Now, um, for Jesus... In the days of the first century, the written scriptures would have been the Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament. And that may be all that he means here. You know, there's the Word of God. It's the Old Testament. And certainly the Old Testament is a sufficient scripture. But a lot of the things that are, that are hidden in the Old Testament, a lot of the things that are promised in the Old Testament, we really don't understand them until we read the New Testament. But the New Testament hadn't been collected. Obviously, it was in the process of being written. Right? I mean, Ephesians, <laughs> nobody sees the humor in that. that you know, Ephesians is being written right as Paul writes, and so um, this is going to be the Word of God. It's going to be in the Scriptures. Um, but the, the Gospels, the Gospel narratives, the story of Jesus, all that was in existence, maybe not written down, um, but it existed in, in the memory of the disciples. It, it existed perhaps in an occasional jotting down of of things that Jesus had said, and all that was, was, Luke said he did an investigation, brought all that together. The, the epistles are being written, and Peter tells us, 2 Peter 3, 15, 16, tells us that the letters of Paul are to be taken as instruction, valid instruction to believers. So even in the lifetime of Paul and Peter, um, the letters of Paul are being recognized as having an inspirational value and an authoritative value. So um, the, 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 the scriptures that we have written in the Bible and, and uh, it could very easily, and in fact, most appropriately satisfy what Paul means in Ephesians when he says the Word of God. Um, I understand the, the, um, the theological journey you have to take to get there, but basically, for our purposes, he's talking about the Bible, right? We'll, we'll just simplify it, boil it all down. He's talking about the Bible, the written Word of God, the Scriptures when he talks about the armor. So um, with that, we look at verse 13. This is Ephesians chapter 6. We start at 13. We'll read through verse 18, the first half of that verse. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. And stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's bow together in prayer. 
Gracious Father, some of us come into this room this morning having experienced the battles of life this past week. And we come wounded and hurt and sore. But we come for the refreshing that you give us in these moments of worship just to draw near to your throne of grace gives us new strength and vitality. Some of us, Father, come into this room and we are fighting a battle that is within. And we've known setback and stumblings, maybe even defeat this week. But just to draw near to you is to know once again your grace, able to save, able to cleanse, able to reclaim. Father, we come to you as a people who have battles and fightings within and without. And yet you have given to us the resources. You've given to us the armor. You've given to us the spirit. You've given to us the wisdom that comes from your mouth that we might live obedient and triumphant lives. And so, Father, even as we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work among us and within us each one, we also give you thanksgiving and praise that the victory belongs to you. The battle is already won, and you are the sovereign Lord of all. We thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What we are really in is a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And a book that tells us in the first chapter that the fullness of who God is has been directed toward us in grace to the praise of the glory of God's grace in Christ Jesus, that the Father has chosen us, predestined us, that the Son has redeemed us, saved us, that the Holy Spirit has sealed us, guaranteed us. And because of that, then, we have this access to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, calling us then to faith because it's by the grace of God that we are saved, but we appropriate that by faith, and even that isn't of ourselves. It's the gift of God, and we can't boast about anything in ourselves leading to a fellowship, a richness, a oneness in the fellowship of the body of Christ. And therefore, because of that, Paul says, I urge you, I plead with you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to just live out this glorious grace of God that has saved you, but then now just brings just unimaginable contentment and satisfaction and joy and purpose and direction as we strive to look more like Jesus, as we strive to walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Christ. And then um, all the, the sort of um, application verses, all the practical ways in which this work at, works out, Paul talks about in, in the fellowship, in the body, in worship. He talks about in the home, in the marriage, in the business place with children. And then we finally wind up here, and he says, and out there in the world, by the way, it's a dangerous place out there because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. This isn't just some kind of ordinary human struggle that we enter into as, as believers in a hostile world, but rather it is a spiritual war going on. And our battle isn't against just flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities. It's against the very power of the devil, the power of Satan coming out against us. And we're not capable of that. And so what happens is God gives us a full armor. He gives us a panoply that we put on, and we've been looking at that and seeing how each time we put on a piece of armor, it fights against one of the wiles of the devil, one of the schemes of the devil. And that's what I want for us to look at this morning as we come to that, that part uh, where he says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. This sword, this scripture, this Bible is a gift to us. And it comes to us by the power and, and the, the working and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit guiding the creation of the Bible, guiding the inspiration of various biblical writers. I mean, the Bible comes to us, you know, having been written over a span of, say, a, um, oh, let's, let's just es- estimate something in the neighborhood of 1,000, 1,500 years from start to finish, and uh, starting over 3,000 years ago, finishing up about 2,000 years ago. And yet over all that time, with all the multiplicity of authors, with all the different kinds of literature in the Bible, where you have history and where you have poetry and you have wisdom literature, you have philosophy, and you have maybe what may may be the closest thing to a psychological document in the Old Testament, the book of of Ecclesiastes, and and you have poems and, and, and songs and all these things going on. And yet there's a unity of message and a unity... Of voice that God is glorious not only that he is gloriously worthy of praise not only that this God gloriously worthy of praise has provided for the redemption of a lost humanity and he has done so ultimately in his son Jesus Christ and so we have this this wonderful book provided to us by the Holy Spirit not to go into all the theories and talking about, you know, how does God inspire and, and all those. That, that interesting discussion, especially when I talk about it. But, uh, but simply to say, simply to say God has used the personalities and the experience of human beings in order to bring to us eternal truths that we could never know on our own and ourselves. I love the anthem the choir saying, ancient words. But they're true, not because they're ancient. They're ancient because they're true. And they are true from all eternity. And so I, I, I love that, uh, that anthem uh, this morning. So the Holy Spirit is the one that, that gives us, brings the, 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 the Bible into existence. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens the Bible up to us. That's why you'll be reading a passage of Scripture and suddenly a verse that you've read a hundred times before will suddenly just jump out you know, and, and get your attention and say, hey, wait a minute, this is what I really mean for your life. And you'll stare at it and you say, why didn't I see that before? Maybe the Holy Spirit will say, well, you didn't need it before. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, the Holy Spirit works that way. A lot of times it's in those moments of crisis and doubt and questioning. That's why you turn to the Scriptures when you have doubts. You turn to the Scriptures when you have questions. Because what I can tell you, and I, w- I want to say this to anybody who's, you know, like a, a really young person in, a, in, a, in, a, in our fellowship this morning, but it's true for everybody. If you have a doubt and you have a question, just keep reading. Keep reading and praying, and eventually God will give you the answer. He'll give you the way to understand that problem and that question. That, that's been my experience, but I, I'll, I'll just give that to you. So the, the Holy Spirit is the one who opens up the Scripture to us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who places that scripture in our hands that we might wield it as a sword. Um, I'm supposed to mention right now that this, the, the Greek word for sword here is for the little uh, small hand sword. It's not for the big, you know, hacking sword and, and all those other kinds of things. But it's simply, this, this is a weapon of attack and defense. And somebody somewhere described it as a sharp two-edged sword. 
that's able to pierce down and to divide up between the bone and the marrow. In other words, this word of God is able to penetrate and, and just cut through all the falderall. That's a, a great term. And, and just get down to the basics of what's really going on. We think of, well, we need the word of God so that we can go attack people. Yeah, that's right. That's why we memorize verses so we can attack people and tell them, you know, you're wrong. The Bible says, the Bible says. A lot of times that sword penetrates inward. A lot of times that sword cuts to the quick and shows us where we are and what needs to change within us. But the word of God, the, the sword of the spirit is also a... a um, a, a powerful weapon to be used in the battle against the evil one. A powerful weapon to sustain us in our walk in Jesus Christ. And I, I think nowhere do we see that more than in the life of Jesus himself. If you will, uh, turn with me in your Bible app to Matthew chapter 4. Read the first 10 verses. This, this is the, the account of Jesus in the wilderness, being tempted in the wilderness. And uh, normally, you know, the, we, we come to this passage and it's all about temptation and how to fight temptation and, and uh, uh, how to have victory and maybe even how the Bible helps us in, in times of tem- temptation. Um, and all that's true. And I'm just mentioning it to let you know that I know that you know that I, so that we're together on that, that that's, that's what this passage teaches. But I also want for us to look at it this morning in the sense of what does Jesus do with the word of God uh, in response to the attack of the evil one. So uh, with that, let's look at verse 1. This is Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. You know, we, we want to stop right there, don't we? <laughs> let's just stop right there. Led by the Spirit. This would be great. If God's Spirit leads me, then my life is going to be wonderful. You know, because Jesus was led by the Spirit. You know, now, the Spirit never does anything but, you know, take you out to get donuts and you know, and have tacos and things. I'm sorry I said that. I'm, I'm, okay. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led Jesus to a place of warfare and led him into the battle. Now understand, when the Spirit leads Jesus... The Spirit doesn't say, come on, Jesus, we're going, going to the wilderness, a little bit of, uh, of a temptation coming your way. Here you, Jesus. Okay, this is the wilderness. I'll come back for you in about 40 days. Now, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, led in the wilderness, and by the way, when he left, he was led out of the wilderness. The Holy Spirit filled every moment, every, every aspect of the being of Christ. The Holy Spirit fills the believer. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God in your life, working and ministering and teaching and guiding, helping you make sense of things and understand things and and giving you a a, a perspective that you would not have before. Do you understand the, the, the graciousness of God to give you his own presence, the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ? So Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit. When you come into the warfare, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't in your life. Probably means the Holy Spirit is in your life. We may put it that way. But he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, and the Greek construction there is basically, um, let us suppose for the sake of argument that you're the Son of God. You know, we, we won't even argue about that. You know, I'll, I'll just concede you that point. But So, if, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. No, you've got the power to do it, don't you, Jesus? Jesus actually knew he had the power to do that, don't you think? I mean, it's not like he said, Satan, I had no idea. You mean I can turn these into bread? Of course he knew that. But the devil comes and thinks he's got a moment of weakness. But watch what the, the, the devil's really doing. The first thing he's saying is, I want you to ignore the Bible. I want you to ignore the scripture. Just look at the world on the basis of how you feel. Look at the, the, the world on the basis of what you're going through. Look at the world on the basis of what your needs are. I mean, this, this is sort of like the ultimate 21st century self-help group. You know, how do you feel? You know, what, can't you do something about it? You deserve to, to eat. You deserve that. You can do that. Just seize the moment. Seize the day. See, what Satan is saying, Jesus, why don't you ignore everything God ever said about Messiah? Ignore everything he ever promised about a Redeemer. Ignore everything that the Father ever told you in the courts of glory. Jesus, why don't you just ignore the truth of Scripture? It's the word we're hearing more and more today. There was a time when you had to know the Bible and read the Bible just to be an educated person. You, you had to know a certain amount of Bible stories just so you could get through English lit class. I mean, it, it was just that way. Anymore, it's, wow, you know, that's a dangerous thing. You know, we don't want to have kids thinking about God. That's an awful thing. But our world, as never before, ignores the Bible. Just doesn't want the Bible. Although I don't know where to fit that in, because uh, as I was doing a little bit of research, I found out not only is the Bible the most published book in the world, it's also the most stolen book in the world. And uh, I think we can thank the Gideons for that. But anyway. But he says, I want you to ignore the Bible. So the Bible's not even part of the context. It's, it's just, Jesus, your needs, go after it. You've got to take care of number one. And Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And just poof, you know. And, I, and I, I've always thought of it in terms of the reason Jesus could quote this verse is because you know, he sort of helped write it with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, so, you know, he's like really into that. But Jesus in his flesh, uh, you, you remember the account when he was 12 years old and he went to the temple and had, had the big deal and then his parents left him there? Uh, not on purpose, not on purpose. But, uh, you know, mistakenly they left him there and they traveled a day, had to come back. And they, they're looking for Jesus everywhere. Finally, finally they find him in his father's house in the temple. But you remember what it said he was doing. That's, that's where I'm going. It says, he was talking to the elders, and they were amazed at his answers and at his questions. Jesus, at an early age, was immersed in the scriptures, absolutely immersed in what the Bible had to say. You know, but why is it we teach little children the Bible? That's a dangerous thing to do. Have I talked about that yet, though? Okay. It's a dangerous thing to do to teach children the Bible. 
It's a sword of the spirit. You wouldn't even give a butter knife to a child. But when you give the sword of the spirit, the Bible, to a child, the Holy Spirit takes the grip and makes it just the right size for a child. We're not teaching the Bible to children just so that they know the Bible stories and aren't left out on, on uh, you know, religious holidays or something. We're teaching them the Bible so that they have a grip on the Word of God. And, and when we hand it to them, we hand it to them very simply in a, in a, in a way commensurate with their level of understanding. Uh, you know, the, the first verse you learn, the first one I, I remember learning was, Be ye kind. That was it. Be ye kind. That's a good thing. Let's all be kind. And then later on you understand that it's be ye kind one to another. That you're sort of in a, in a group fellowship. Okay, I get that. Then you grow a little bit more and you understand it's be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. See, it's getting harder and harder. It says, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And suddenly that little verse you learn in primaries, if you know what that is, good. That little verse you learn, suddenly you realize it's got the entire sweep of the Bible in that one little verse, Basically. It does. But you start as a child, and that, that sword of the Spirit is given to you, and it functions in your life, but as you grow the sword of the Spirit, you realize it's, it's even bigger than I thought as a child, if you're growing the right way. And you get to be a high school student, you go into college, and then you see that this Bible thing, it's not just some optional stories, and it's just sort of interesting reading if you don't have anything else to do on the subway. But rather, this word of God actually has a message and a claim on my life. And one day you're reading the scripture and you come to understand, I can't keep going the way I'm going. I've got to have my life put into line with what the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit works that work. Become a young adult, you start a family, you get a midlife crisis. All along the way you see the beauty and the profound depth of the scriptures and the Bible in your life. If you're a believer in Jesus, you just can't ignore it. And I'll tell you something else I'm discovering. When you're an old guy, this sort of the spirit is still good. It's still deep, and there's still more to it. It's kind of exciting to think that uh, uh, you might just have a chance to sit and look at a lot of things in depth that, that you know maybe you didn't have time for earlier on, but you know, this, this scripture, this sword of the Spirit, this word of God is perfectly suited for every person at every age and at every time. You know, and not just every time. I'll, I'll get back to the sermon in a minute. But this word never changes from age to age, from era to era, from culture to culture, society to society. It is always true. And it is unchanging. And it is always reliable. And it is always a sword with which we can withstand the attacks of the evil one. So the devil comes along and he says to Jesus, Jesus, why did, why did you just forget the Bible? Let's, let's just let's not even bother with that. Just cut to the selfish thing. And Jesus says, no, the scripture is the authority here, not my feelings, not my hunger, not what's going on in my life. The scripture has authority. That's essentially what he's saying. It, it, you live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. 
Well, then the devil says, well, that's, that's a neat trick, Jesus. That, that was really neat. Well, you took that Bible and just, good for you. you know, Jesus won. That's great. He says, but let's think about this Bible thing, Jesus. And he says, well, the devil takes him to the holy city, sets him on a pinnacle of the temple. We're not sure exactly where it is. You don't need to know the architecture. All you have to know is the devil says to him, if you're the son of God, and we assume that you are for the moment, throw yourself down. Because Jesus, the Bible says that he will command his angels concerning you. And the Bible says on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. What's Satan doing? He's twisting the Bible. He says, okay, I've got somebody here who is into Bible. I'll pull out a verse. And I'll say, Jesus, why don't you just you know, go for the spectacular? You know, everybody will be amazed and amused. And they'll, they'll come flocking to you. They don't need this cross. And look, here's a Bible verse. Have you ever known anybody who could, who could twist a Bible verse? Maybe not. <laughs> Every false teacher ever has quoted the Bible, but only part of it. Or has quoted the Bible, but only after changing it. Or has quoted the Bible, but only in order to say, I can improve upon it. The Mormons, they'll tell you they believe the Bible, but they, they had to retranslate it, get their own translation. Jehovah's Witness, they, they, we believe the Bible, but they had to change it. The Muslims will tell you, we believe the Bible, we believe the prophets, we believe the Psalms, we believe all that. The problem with you Jews and Christians is you distorted it and you corrupted it, and so we don't know what it says, but if we did, we we would believe it. See, every heresy and error can claim one verse of the Bible. What they can't do is claim the whole Bible. Not the whole Bible as God has inspired and given it to us. You ever have somebody who, who, you know, gets hung up on a verse? Maybe it never happens to you, but it happens to me. Somebody will come along and say, well, what about the big toe of the statue that Daniel saw? How does that relate to the beast from the sea in the book of Revelation? And, of course, I'm looking at him thinking, I don't know. (laughs) No. Uh, You know, they're asking that. And all I can think to myself is, we're going to have to start way back at the beginning on this one, buddy. Let's go back to the beginning, all right? In the beginning, God. Are we clear on God? (laughs) Are we clear that God exists? Because a lot of times you'll get asked these kinds of questions by people who care nothing about the Scripture, nothing about God, nothing about Christ. They're just sort of interested in, in, in this sort of thought process. One guy who does this to me is my dentist. And he'll do it after he's chopped me with Novocaine and has things hanging out of my mouth. And, and uh, it, it's very hard to talk then. But uh, uh, they're, they're not really interested in the whole Bible. And, and, and you want to say, look, why don't we get some things straight that you can understand? That God loved you so much he sent his son. Let's understand you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's understand the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let, let, can, we, can we talk about, no, no, I want to know about the big toe. It's a way to distort the Bible. It's a way to, to manipulate the Bible. It's a way to try to use the Scripture to buttress your own opinions. And so essentially, Satan says to Jesus, you got a verse, 
I got a verse. How about this verse? You say you believe the Bible? This verse says if you jump off this pinnacle, you're not going to land hard. By the way, total manipulation comes from Psalm uh, 51 that is talking about if the world attacks me, I'm summarizing, but if the world attacks me, God, you're going to keep me. God says, yeah, I'll send my angels. And if I may paraphrase, and if they push you off, your stone, your, your foot won't hit the stone on the ground. I'll bear you up. But Satan distorts that and says, well, let's test it out. Let's see how that works. And so Jesus says, well, Satan, if you've got a verse, here's what we're going to do. We're going to use the whole Bible. We're not just going to get stuck on on one thing you can distort. We're going to do the whole Bible. And Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy. Just you've got to read that scripture in the light of the fact that you, you don't play around with God. He promised to take care of you. But you don't presume upon the grace of God. He's still sovereign. He's still in control of all this stuff. And so the whole Bible, all the Bible... That's, that's why you've got to read a lot. You know, I, in, in college, in, in university, um, I was asked to be uh, the Bible teacher for a youth group. Uh, we were in Durham, and the youth group was in Henderson, and every Friday we'd travel over there. It'd be about 200 kids in a, in a building that uh, the, a guy in the community had built for them. It was actually very nice, sort of like a youth center. And so for an hour, I would teach these kids the Bible. And I could do it back then. Because after all, I was a junior in college, and I knew just about everything there was to know. <laughs> so after one of these amazing presentations, you know, uh, a couple of students came up, and, and uh, uh, a girl and her friend, and, and uh, they say to me, how can you say you believe the whole Bible if you've never read the whole Bible? I resigned as their Bible teacher. <laughs> but, but I thought it was a good question. How can you say you believe the whole Bible? Well, first we know the whole Bible is inspired by God, so it's worthy of belief and worthy of trust and worthy of putting our faith in the Scriptures. And even if you haven't read the whole Bible, you can be very, very certain that every word on every page is the Word of God and is true. But that's also why the right answer, and I wish I'd thought of it at the time, was, well, the answer to that is read the whole Bible. You know, put it all in front of you. And I know the different things are, are more exciting than others, you know. But, uh, but the, the, the point being, keep reading the scriptures. Keep reading. Because one day you'll read a scripture here and a scripture here, and the Holy Spirit will pick them up and say, see, that's what that scripture there meant all along. And it'll just come together. So why didn't I see that before? So it's the whole scripture interprets the whole scripture. I think that's a principle Jesus was applying here. He, he ran into the same thing with the Pharisees. You got time for this? Somebody say amen or else I'll, I'll just quit in the middle of my sentence. But he dealt with this with the Pharisees. The Pharisees would come to him and say, Jesus, what about this divorce thing? Can't, is it okay to divorce your wife? And uh, Jesus said, well, what does the Bible say? And they said, well, the Bible says that... Uh, Uh, All you have to do is write out a bill of divorce, hand it to her, and you're divorced. No-fault divorce, that's what the Bible says. And that's what they were going on. Jesus said, well, that's that's an interesting verse, uh, but let me give you another verse. He said, what what was it like in the beginning? 
Because by now, by the time that your verse was written, there's a lot of hardness of heart going on. But in the beginning, it wasn't that way. Because God created man, male and female, and he brings them together. And what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. The Bible, interpreting the Bible. There are many other instances of that where, where Jesus does just that. He takes this one scripture and applies it to a scripture that's, that's harder to understand. And, uh, and that's how, how the meaning comes forth in it. So that's what he's doing with saying. He says, you know, let's use the whole Bible. You, get, get the whole sword out here. All right. So then Satan says, essentially, he says, well, Jesus, just because the Bible says that, can't we do what we want anyway? And he says it this way. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said to him, I will give you these, all these I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. It says, let's just ignore the Bible. It's, it's kind of an inconvenient thing right now. Let's just ignore the Bible. Much more we could say about it. But here's what Jesus said to him. Be gone, Satan. Some uh, manuscripts say, get thee behind me, Satan. It says, but be gone, Satan. By the way, Jesus could have quit right there. I mean, all, all he had to say is, be gone, Satan. Jesus has authority over Satan. If he says, be gone, Satan has to do what? Be gone. By the way, you don't have the power to tell Satan to be gone. But you know the name of the one who does. And in the name of Jesus, Satan has to be gone. And in the name of Jesus, Satan has no power over you. He has no ability. All you need to do is speak the name of Jesus. But Jesus goes on. He says, Be gone, Satan, because it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and the angels came, and they ministered to Christ. And so the devil says, Why don't you just ignore it? And Jesus said, You can't. This is the sword. And that's how Jesus used it. So we're back to Ephesians. And Paul says, Now, take up this sword. Take up the sword of the Spirit. And that, that's really what I want for you this morning, is that, that the, the sword of the Spirit would just become a, a present and useful and used tool uh, for you in your life. And there's, there's some very simple ways you can do that. Uh, you know, uh, we, we have Bible study every Sunday morning. Uh, people my age, we still call it Sunday school. But everybody thinks, oh, Sunday school is for children. We, we bring children in, we give them uh, some Bible studies, teach them to be nice, nice, and, uh, and then after that, uh, you're on your own. Uh, one thing we believe is the Bible is for every age. We have a Bible study class for the youngest child. Now, I'm telling you folks in the nursery, that's not babysitting. That's teaching little infants the love of God by the way you hold them and talk to them and care for them. And, and for our preschoolers and for our children and for our students and for our adults and our young adults and our median adults and now meaningful to me, our older adults, because there's never a moment in life in which you do not need the sword of the Spirit. And so my prayer for you is that you, you would take up the sword of the Spirit, that you would be involved in a Bible study, that you would just take like one extra hour a, day, a, a week you know, and be part of a Bible study class. You could also do that with a, a group Bible study during the week, maybe at work or in the neighborhood or something like that. Um, you also see the slide that goes by, uh, if you get in here early enough, um, but uh, I think it's on constant contact, too, is um, of the um, 
Bible reading plan that we have, going, going through the Bible and, you know, reading the Bible according to that plan. Uh, get a piece of devotional letter, just something that keeps you reading the Word every day. Because that's how the Holy Spirit will make you able to withstand the assault, the attack, the battle that Satan brings into your life. And you'll just discover a joy and a confidence and a boldness when you take up the sword of the Spirit. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, I would ask that we would be diligent and faithful, obedient, and that we would take up the armor that you have given to us and that we would faithfully and diligently stand firm in the line of battle. Father, for, for us in this room today, I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to awaken every heart to the glory and the joy and the beauty of who you are and the wonder that is ours when we live walking in the footsteps of Christ. Father, again, we're not able. Father, again, you are. Send your Holy Spirit to work in us, to mold us, to use us. All for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.